And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance. Hello, everyone. Gentlemen, it's great to have you here. Today we're talking about the Incarnation. That time in the world's history when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took on human flesh, became man, became one of us, and yet retained His deity, His divinity, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. The Incarnation, it's a big word and uh, yet an important concept. Uh, John Vance, could you get us started today a little bit about this uh, very important uh, element in our history? Yes, it's a wonderful time uh, of the year, of course, because we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He was born of a woman. And the word incarnation, of course, means that the eternal God sent his son into the world to seek and to save the lost. But he did that uh, through our Lord becoming flesh, fully human, born of a woman, born under the law. So the incarnation... Uh, is absolutely necessary to our salvation. Uh, Christians understand that what it means to be saved involves the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what he did for us when he was in human flesh. Yeah, when you talk about the incarnation, you know, this is the God with us. You know, we have the prophecy that we have in Isaiah, that behold, a virgin will conceive and, and bear a son and and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God mm-hmm. with us. And that is a huge thing because of the alienation, I think, we have from God. I think when we start there, how when the fall occurred, uh, the alienation was so great. And if you think about that, you think about the garden, and you think about the fellowship that Adam and Eve had before they sinned with God. They had a vision of God. They had a fellowship with God which was unique. And then when they lost that, it was such a separation that when you hit, for example, Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up in the mountain, he can't see God completely. God says, you can't. You can't survive and see me. He comes down with this aura on his face that the rest of the people couldn't stand to see. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we have this great separation between God and man, and suddenly... The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, and um, because of that humiliation, we can we can know God. I think it is important to stress the background. Yeah. Uh, our first parents, if you will, turned their back on God. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a kind of willfulness, right. moving away from Him, a rebelliousness, and it is in the Incarnation that Jesus overcomes that. He actually yeah. comes to us. Now, we we also call the incarnation the humiliation right. of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself, the scripture says. Well, certainly he had to humble himself to come and to seek and to save the lost. Think of that. How mm-hmm. often will we go and try to reconcile with someone when they're at fault and they have offended us? So the the incarnation is not only Jesus coming in the flesh, but mm-hmm. it is indeed by its very nature, a humiliation. He became a servant to seek and to save the lost. Mm. So, uh, rightly, he is to be uh, celebrated uh, his birth, 
his resurrection and all the events of his life because really mm. they are events that saved us. That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking about uh, man's um, in the garden. He's created with a, a will that has the potential of disobeying God and making that decision of going away from God. But then something even happens to his will. Later on, the apostle tells us in Romans that um, we're spiritually dead. We're lost in our trespasses and sins. And so even, it seems to me, even the capability of the will has changed after the fall. And that further Mm -hmm. shows how wonderfully gracious God is in reaching down to us. Not only have we offended him, we don't even have the capability of choosing him unless he interacts on our behalf. Well, we're talking about the Incarnation today here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Before we take a break, uh, John, I had a question for you. And that is, um, we mentioned the Old Testament, and uh, just thinking about maybe an Old Testament saint reading uh, the scriptures, how much of an impression uh, would he be able to get concerning uh, the coming Savior? Um, What kind of understanding might he have had? There's a a great deal uh, in particularly the book of Isaiah about the coming of a Messiah. In fact, I preached... Uh, a sermon recently, uh, a couple of sermons from the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament saint uh, did have a messianic expectation, but they really didn't know how that was going to unfold. Mm-hmm. They they knew that God had promised a Redeemer, and one day mm-hmm. the fortunes of Israel would be restored, but they were not entirely clear about that. They They knew that he would come, and he would execute and establish justice, but they probably didn't understand that he would first come as a suffering servant who would die in our place, and then he would come after a second time without sin and to salvation to establish justice. Mm-hmm. They, they conflated those into one, mm-hmm. and the prophets do treat it that way. So when Jesus came into the world, announced, uh, first of all, in a very brief way by John the Baptist, uh, it was uh, surely an amazing thing. (laughs) God literally in his son had broken into history, Mm -hmm. but not in some spectacular way, but in the flesh of a babe. Yeah. Amen to that. And that's it. You know, he came as a baby and... That's part of being fully human, that incarnation of going through the whole process. Mm. Obviously, God could have just shown up just like the angels do here and there oh, sure. and uh, have done it that way, but he didn't. He no. came as a baby and uh, experienced everything uh, that we experienced. Now, of course, he's, you know, I, I was asked, one of my students asked, you know, well, could he talk? A lot sooner, I says. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but we do know we do know he was a lot smarter than the average one because by the yeah. time he was twelve years old, he was confounding all the great That's theologians true. in Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I hear the music in the background, and we have a yeah. break coming up today. We're talking about the incarnation, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into this cruel world as the Savior of the world. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Thousands who did not have bread I saw him bring people back from the dead 
Drove out demons from the demon bound And taught us how to walk on holy ground He made the leper skin like new The storm dissipated when he told it to Took jars of water, turned it into wine To save even heal this heart of mine We have seen his glory seen his glory the one and only son we'll be right back with our program in just a minute now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful christ-centered programming 24 hours a day would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio is the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. Today we're talking about the Incarnation. To get us started on this side of the break, um, here's a question, fellas. Um, Did God have to become man? Well, yeah. The uh, theologian and philosopher Anselm in the Middle Ages talked about that. I know that's one of John's uh, favorite uh, mm-hmm. writings there is uh, Curdeus Homo. Mm-hmm. Why did God become man? And he gives essentially two reasons, and John, you can probably improve on them. But the first is, you know, who should suffer for sin? Well, man should suffer for sin mm-hmm. because man is the one who sinned. And so he had to become man, but who could take away sins? Well, there's no man that can take away sins. And so it had to be God who who had uh, mm-hmm. the power and the holiness to be able to take those sins away. So that's why God had to become man. Yes, he became man uh, so that he might identify and substitute for us mm-hmm. and for our salvation. On the other hand, since he is the eternal Son of God, everything that he did had eternal value right. in the sight of the Father. So... Uh, uh, a person might conceivably die for another's sins, but would have no eternal value. <laughs> mm-hmm. On the other hand, we understand that anyone who would die for my sins that is human outside of Jesus would be a sinner dying for a sinner, That's which right. wouldn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that one who was sinless took upon himself human flesh, 
But the incarnation also uh, says that he took upon himself not only our human flesh and our human history, but he took upon himself our sin by substitution. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, uh, made a, an acute observation here. He said when Jesus died, he died as the world's greatest sinner, not because he himself was a sinner, mm-hmm. but because he took upon himself mm-hmm. our sins so that we might be saved. Yeah. Oh, how true. Yeah, as, oh, Paul, true. as Paul says, he became sin for us who knew no sin. Boy, mm-hmm. that's a... That's a strong statement to say someone became sin for us who knew no sin. That means he entered into the very depths of yeah. what it means to be human in, yeah. in the fallen condition totally. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful uh, understanding. No wonder Christmas ought to be celebrated. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. The birth of Jesus yeah. Christ, the King James says, was on this wise. And then it begins to tell and unfold yeah. that in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, uh, sometimes, let me follow this by an observation. Sometimes I've heard people say, you know, Pastor, uh, the Bible doesn't mention very much about the virgin birth except in two places. Well, of course, that's enough. Yeah. But they they forget that it is assumed, particularly in the life of the Apostle Paul and his writings, when, for instance, he says in Galatians that Jesus was born of a woman born under the law. Mm. Why didn't he say born of woman and man? No, he assumes the virgin birth of our Lord mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. I was reading this morning out of the book of Luke in the Gospels, and um, it's an extended portion of Scripture talking about the time leading up to the birth of Christ. It's a great blessing, by the way, dear listener, if you want to read that and uh, really soak your soul in the words of Scripture. This time of year, it's wonderful. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mary today, and uh, you already touched on that, fellas, already somewhat. But even leading up to Mary, I noticed that, or I was reminded that, John the Baptist appears on the scene, and even before that, Gabriel, the angel, is Mm -hmm, dispatched mm -hmm. to uh, give a message about the birth of John the Baptist. And I was reminded of the relationship God has with his people and the relationship we are to have in our Christian believing families. He, um, he described John the Baptist, this, this angel, Gabriel. He said, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that spoke to me. Um, and I, I was reminded that as a Christian father, our hearts are to be turned to our children. It's no wonder we're told that the promise is to you and to your children. Uh, God is a God of relationship, and God works in families. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. You want to be prepared for the Lord? Have the wisdom of the just. Have your hearts turned to your children in Christian belief, in Christian commitment to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Leading up to this, of course, beyond that, then Gabriel announces Christ's birth, and um, it's it's really interesting because Gabriel is is dispatched again. It says he was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, and we could say he was on a mission from God. <laughs> and he comes and he addresses Mary in very interesting terms, and um, I just want to caution our 
our Protestant friends, and we're all Protestants here, sometimes we do ourselves a great disservice in, in trying to be overly cautious about the person of Mary. We need to be biblical, and, and she is described in here in powerful terms, and, and they cannot be watered down. It says this, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. In, uh, in Eastern Christianity, uh, what we call the Eastern Orthodox churches in particular, they have in their liturgy uh, a word that they use with reference to Jesus and Mary. Uh, they call uh, Mary Theotokos. Now, that's a big word. may never have heard of it. Uh, unless you're in the Orthodox tradition or possibly Roman Catholic and maybe a few Protestants. Theotokos, it's a Greek word, and it means uh, bearer of God. Yes. Bearer of God. Mm -hmm. Now, Mary did not contribute to his deity. That is, of course, he was born of the Holy Spirit, and he was deity uh, from eternity past, eternity future, if you can talk that way. On the other hand, she did furnish his humanity, his DNA, Mm -hmm. his amino acids, so to speak, everything that it means to be human. And she furnished that. And uh, there is something in theology, uh, and it goes like this. What you attribute to one nature, you can attribute to the whole person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mary is rightly called Theotokos, Mother of God. Now, we don't pray to her, but we do honor her for her role in salvation. Yeah. And she was indeed a chosen vessel, a favored woman, blessed among all women. Yeah, and even in her Magnificat later on in the text, um, she she said, and sorry, uh, Mark, I interrupted you. Uh, She says, behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah, one of the, the reasons, you know, that that term is so appropriate, um, Theotokos, is that in the early church, of course, Jesus is so unique. Yeah. He is a single person, yet he has two natures. He is truly God, and he is truly man. And there were some who took offense to that term, Theotokos. But as the church looked at it, and they had a big council on it in 431 in Ephesus, they uh, they said, well, look, if you're going to separate and say Mary wasn't the God-bearer, then you've divided Jesus into two persons. And that's not who he was. He was one person but two mm-hmm. natures. And there was yeah. another reason for that, too. There was, the, of course, the, the, yeah. the Gnostic sects that mm-hmm. were denying that Jesus was truly human. Human at all, yeah. Now, they were willing to say... That he was God, but they were not willing to say that he was man. Hmm. And, of course, we know uh, from uh, the scriptures that if he had not become man, he could not save us, Hmm. could not represent us. So, therefore, they emphasized his humanity by emphasizing that Mary truly gave him his humanity. He was fully human, Hmm. just like you and just like me. And if he had not, he really could not be our Savior, to die mm. on the cross for our sins. And, and I notice also that um, he was also Mary's Savior. In her uh, song, she says, My spirit has rejoiced in 
God, my Savior. That's right. No matter how blessed she was, yeah. she was still on this side of the divide, so to That's speak. That's the important right. distinction. So while we, yeah. um, we do praise God for this woman, extremely unique woman, blessed among women, and, and even blessed is the fruit of her womb, yet she was human. Yet she admitted out of her own mouth that she, too, needed a Savior. You know, there's a there's a another big word I'll introduce uh, that comes from uh, scholars who who read the early chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis. In Genesis three fifteen, it mentions that there will come one who will be born of a woman, and who will be at odds with Satan. <laughs> That's in, right. in three fifteen, mm-hmm. scholars call that the Proto Evangelium or the first mention of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But notice. He will be the son uh, yes. or the seed of a woman. Yes. Yeah. You know what I like about that portion also? It uh, gives us a picture of um, the success of this one who was to be born. Because, uh, you know, it's one thing to have your heel bitten by the serpent. It's another thing to crush the serpent's mm-hmm. head. <laughs> I just <laughs> love right. that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we're talking today about the incarnation the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, into this world. We're so thankful that the Scripture gives us some information about uh, his mother Mary and uh, how that we, too, are supposed to consider her blessed. And here's a, here's a question, fellas. When we were talking about Jesus uh, a while ago, Mark, I think you mentioned um, when he was in the temple, what was it, when he was 12 years old, was it? 12 years old, yes. All right. Um, so we, we have a lot of information about his birth, certainly, here out of Luke. Um, the reference of 12 years old. And then it seems like the scripture goes silent. Um, why, why is there not too much historical reference to the life of Christ, except at these key points, you know, the beginning, a quick one in the in middle, and then more information about the end of his life? I would say a couple of things on that. It is true. When you read the the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you notice that there is very little about uh, the events in Jesus' life except at the beginning and the end, and with that reference that uh, Mark was talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, where he was in the temple instructing, left behind in the caravan, Mm -hmm. and uh, so forth. You know, it doesn't tell us, the scriptures don't tell us how tall he was, yeah. what color his eyes were, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, uh, his hair looked like, whether it was long or short, and uh, on and on and on. And there is a, seems to be an absence of curiosity among yes. these early writers. Well, the Bible, uh, I believe, focuses, the biblical writers focus on the beginning and the end. They want to emphasize at the beginning that he's fully human. They want to emphasize also that he died for our sins. Someone has described the Gospels as uh, passion narratives with long introductions. (laughs) We get uh, a lot about his teaching and so forth, but honestly, we only hear about the beginning and the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And maybe we would be taken up with so much curiosity about these incidental things. And, th- of course, nothing in one sense is incidental in the Lord's life, for his whole life is a saving life. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. we might 
fixate on something that he did at 16 or 17 and not focus on his purpose. I think the Bible is focusing on his purpose. Mm. He did come to seek mm. and to save the lost. And and I know Mark knows a, a good bit about uh, Gnosticism, and it was the Gnostics or the heretics uh, who, who drew up writings trying to fill in those blanks and got them in a peck of trouble, wouldn't you say, Mark? Yeah, they sure did. And that... And that that's the problem, you know, you, you have all these Gnostic writings, and they basically what they were doing is they were c- combining a lot of the uh, Eastern philosophies into their theology, mm-hmm. taking the Christianity and totally distorting it. Um, often it's one of the things they would say is, uh, you know, and it goes back to his humanity, actually, yeah. it, to say that spirit is is okay, but flesh is evil. Oh, yes. They thought the flesh was evil. That's why yeah. it couldn't become man. That's right. I'm just looking at the clock here, gentlemen. I see we're out of time already. It always sneaks up on me fast. And uh, just some quick wrap-up thoughts today regarding the coming of Jesus into this world. One of the things we need to always remember, he came into the world not so that we could have a acute nativity scene where we think, oh, how, <laughs> how pretty and how neat, but he came to die. Yes. He came to live as a human, but to die as a sacrifice for our sins, and uh, and then rise three days later. But, and so we need to always keep in mind, the birth is looking forward to that redemptive, uh, sacrificial death on the cross. I think of a poem at this time, Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is the Hound of Heaven, and he is plotting after the sinner uh, persistently pursuing, never being stopped. That's the purpose of God, that mm-hmm. in the Son of Jesus Christ, he pursues the lost sinner who has fled mm-hmm. divine grace and goodness. Mm-hmm. And he comes to us and confronts us in our sin and misery that we might have hope of eternal life. He is the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you in the studio here today. This is A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. This entire episode is up on our website. Check it out at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Taught us how to walk on holy ground. He made the leper skin like new. The storm dissipated when he told it to. Took jars of water, turned it into wine. To save even heal this heart of mine. We have seen his glory. glory we have seen his glory